Hello, everyone. This is another episode of the DigiSection podcast. And our today's guest is Suzanne Mitchke, the co-founder and CEO of Citrus Labs. Suzanne's company provides a simple and affordable way to prove that products actually work. They specialize in running clinical trials for supplements, skincare, devices, CBD, health foods, and biotech. Suzanne has a really great understanding of the field of clinical trials. I hope you learn as much as I did and that you'll enjoy this conversation. Hi, Suzanne. It's so great to have you as part of DigiSection podcast today. Yeah. Hi, Oscar. Thank you for having me. Where does this podcast find you? I am very well right now in Waikiki in Hawaii. <laughs> oh, that's a great location for a podcast recording. Yeah. But normally you're based in LA, right? Exactly. I would be based in LA, but December is usually my time when I am winding down and spending some time in Hawaii. How do you like, by the way, LA as a place to grow your startup as somebody who comes from Europe? I love LA. I love that it is very diverse as a city because we have all these different neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And I think it is close to Europe in terms of culture, but obviously also very different in terms of culture. But I really like that. You know, I'm friends with a ton of different people, you know, from different backgrounds, different nationalities. And I think it's probably more a US thing because before I was in New York and it was also same, <laughs> very different. Different people, different neighborhoods. But yeah, I really like it. And if someone from our listeners would like to move to LA, is there any place, any specific, say, ecosystem you'd say they should join? Yeah, west side, best side. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what is it? East side, beast side. No, it's, uh, you, I mean, you know, Santa Monica, Venice, Westwood, I think. Brentwood, these are the areas you want to be. And I think Santa Monica, Venice area, it's called Silicon Beach. And most of the startups stay in that area. Yeah, I used to live in LA for a very short period of time in 2018. That was southern part of Beverly Hills, but actually I didn't like it. I always wanted to move to to Santa Monica. I should have done that. Beverly Hills, way too posh for us setup people. <laughs> we had like, you know, a crazy house, like, you know, out of this series, I think it was called just Silicon Valley, where we lived with the whole of our team, like five co-founders in one apartment. Fun. So that was like a real startup life. Yeah. Anyway, we want to focus today on your company and the world of clinical trials. Let's start with the landscape of current clinical trials market. Give us the state of the play. Almost every healthcare market, also the clinical trial industry, it's the legacy industry. Software products, they are not used because they are the best ones, but because they've been around for decades. And I think in general, that's probably true for all of the healthcare market. And, you know, to actually get into that market and be successful, you don't only need a really, really good product. You need contacts, you need a network, you need a ton of time because as everything healthcare, everything works very, very slowly. Right now, everybody is really talking about DCT, decentralized clinical trials. COVID gave it a boost because, you know, research sites had or wanted to close down. And now what we've learned almost two years in the pandemic is that site-based trials, um, you know, trials that involve research centers like hospitals or privately owned sites, they don't go anywhere. Now, we startups, right, we can adapt. But the sad part is that sites, they 
they don't really adapt. We have worked in the past couple of years with hundreds of sites in the U.S., all of them, they really have different software systems, different systems for recruitment, for COA, they use CTMS. But from my experience, there's currently no clear market leader when it comes to sites. It's very hard to work with sites. And I'm really excited for any company that taps into this market and tries to shape it. We tried it. We weren't successful. Eventually for us, it was too much effort for very little outcome and even you know less revenue. And this is why we decided to to not work with sites that we don't manage. And this is why we decided to actually take the matters in our own hands and manage the whole process mm -hmm. of clinical trials ourselves. We'll have a deep dive into this today. We'll also you know, try to uncover all of the mysteries connected with the world of clinical trials. For those of our listeners who are not experts on this matter, could you talk more about the stakeholders? Who's the CRO? Who's the trial sponsor? The SMO? Could you kind of, you know, talk through the process of running a, a trial? So let's start with the sponsors, because I think that's probably the easiest to understand. So sponsors are companies that pay for clinical trials. Usually it's a pharmaceutical company, you know, can also be a brand that is running a clinical trial, right? So any company that is paying for a clinical trial is a clinical trial sponsor. Now, these sponsors, they are not running typically the clinical trials themselves due to several reasons, right? And this is where CROs, clinical research organizations, contract research organizations come in. So we, CROs, we basically run the whole clinical trial from start to finish, which means managing the clinical trial also from start to finish. So doing study design, you know, going into, for example, when it's site-based, picking out the right sites to work with, you know, initiating the sites, all of that stuff going into recruitment, going into data collection, going into trial completion. And then, you know, they are obviously the sites, these research organizations can be hospitals, can be just doctor's offices, for example, and they see the patients. So they basically do the hard work, oftentimes also recruiting the patients themselves, getting them in for screenings, making sure that they are the right candidates to actually join the clinical trials, then enroll them in clinical trials, do all the blood work, the imaging, whatever is needed. And then on the other side, third part of clinical trials, stakeholder-wise, is patients. You need patients to run clinical trials. And oftentimes, the patient is the group that is overlooked, that is forgotten. You know, when you're looking at study design, for example, oftentimes studies are not designed with patients in mind. Similar to recruitment processes, oftentimes entirely broken, not ideal, not with a patient in mind. We're going to get back like to recruitment and patient experience just in a moment. But we'd love also, you know, to understand your personal perspective on this. So what made you interested in the world of clinical trials? And also, could you give us the cliff notes of your career? What happened in your life kind of, you know, prior to starting your company that made you like want even to do it? So almost my whole professional life, I've been involved with clinical trials. And personally, I have been extremely frustrated and upset how these studies were run. I couldn't understand why it takes, for example, six months to get a study IRB approved. I couldn't understand why the initial startup of designing the study and then writing up all the study material, including the protocol and ICFs and all of that stuff, why that took so long. The real tipping point was then patient recruitment wise. I have seen patients wait sometimes just six weeks to get contacted, you know, by site staff. I couldn't understand why that happened. And then, you know, looking into it, 
I wasn't extremely shocked to see that there wasn't technology to streamline the clinical trial process uh, from, you know, study start to completion. Obviously, they are you know, different players in the market that do parts of it, but not like the whole thing. And especially when working with big CROs, there's a ton of red tape. There are many politics mm-hmm. involved, right? And it is really crazy. So I thought, you know, I can do that. I can do that better. And here we are. That's what I do now. And then you went through the Techstars Accelerator yes. together with Sears. Was that in 2017 or 2018? 2016, actually. We did uh, Techstars in New York City, 2016, yeah. Great. And so let's try to understand now the core product offering and services offering of your company. Like, imagine I'm becoming your client. Maybe let's even start what's the before this process. So what kind of client is perfect for you? And what kind of services could you offer? So even though I'm working on clinical trials, we are currently not working anymore with pharmaceutical companies. We focus solely on brands, consumer brands. We work with supplement companies, skincare companies, device companies, app companies, basically everything over the counter that needs product claims. And our goal with Citrus Labs is to create these research-backed product claims for these companies. And why that is important is that even so supplement Supplements, they are everywhere, right? But did you know that every year, actually 23,000 people go to the ER, the emergency room in the US because of the use of supplements? Oh, never heard about it. Yeah, right. It's crazy. And that's because of side effects they got from these supplements. And especially when talking you know, to people not familiar with that industry, it doesn't sound sexy what we do. And frankly, many people look at me weirdly when I say what I do. But it's actually a really great company that we've built. And we have really happy customers, happy patients. We are profitable. And unfortunately, that is the part that many of our investors are not happy about. But I think the team and I are very happy about that. Okay, fantastic. And so you talked before about the potential ways in which the industry could be disrupted. And like, you know, points where you can actually see the the friction and the bottlenecks. Could you expand on that? What kind of we should look into building and making better in terms of this process? I think it's all about technology, right? So if you are looking at what we do, we use technology from start, then conducting the clinical study and completing the clinical study. And we currently run simultaneously several, several, several clinical studies. And historically, this would have meant a ton of manpower you know, on the CRO side. Um, there are these people that are called CRAs, research associates, and they are CRCs, the research coordinators. And we have recruitment specialists, you know, all of these people. And we can run each clinical study with currently just one person instead of, you know, for a larger study, 20 to 30 people basically per study. And this is a testament to our technology. And how it basically works is that our technology gets fed with information on the studies by the sponsor. And the sponsors explain to us what study they want to run. Then based on that, we create a protocol, we create all, you know, support material, study material. And the only real manual process we currently have is setting up the blood work, you know, biomarkers, all of that stuff. And then we go right into recruitment, which is the part we are really, really good at. And why are we good at recruiting? 
It's very simple. We are actually patient first. We are super patient centric. And that one person that is working manually also on our clinical studies, this is the number one point of contact for our patients. And we automated currently most part of the patient experience, the patient touch points. And our patients experience though that we have that one person they can contact literally day and night. And we really patient advocates and it shows. It shows in recruitment speed. But it also shows in retention and dropouts because dropouts basically never happen except when somebody has an allergic reaction to a product, for example. And then, you know, based on the data we collect during the study, we then get an automated study report. Again, the software gets fed with the data. So we really work on the whole study from start to finish with technology from first study initiation to completion. Mm -hmm. And this is the point where people usually look surprised at me and then say, oh, so you really a zero <laughs> yeah we're really a zero <laughs> so would you call yourself a tech enabled zero yeah digital zero okay and where do you see your competitive advantage in terms of tech well, I think it's not necessarily in terms of tech. It basically competitive advantage is that we use technology. You know, what I mentioned before, we don't require a ton of manual work. We don't require a big team to actually run a clinical study. And this makes us number one faster and also less expensive. And the other thing is that we are really patient centric. A ton of people talk about it. You have to be more patient centric. You have to really keep nudging patients. It's not happening. We have a really large pool of patients that are interested in joining clinical studies with different health conditions and we can recruit very quickly a high quality patients to these clinical studies then you know the other part is that we have a very solid process to keeping patients enrolled in the studies and actually make sure that they are doing what they're supposed to do protocol adherence all of this combined makes sure that we can actually work with also small budgets and also very tight timelines What's your average batch? Per study? Mm -hmm. Currently about 70 to 80 patients per study. Okay. And the average study length? About three to six months. And that is just study period. We add like about one to two months study startup and then about four weeks for the report. Could you talk about any specific use case? Any client story that you can share? No. We have had so many clients <laughs> that all oh, were really successful. So we just wrapped up one study I'm really excited about for Women's Health Supplement. And the founders, they are amazing. They are researchers, they are PhDs. And working with them was, was really great because many of our customers, they are not PhDs. They don't know anything about research and working with them can be sometimes a little bit hard. But this is why we are here, right? We are holding their hands through the process. But these guys have been great. And, you know, study start with them really was a breeze because they knew exactly what they wanted in terms of claims, how the study design should look like, what their ideal patient profile looks like, and also which biomarkers they wanted to use. And obviously, because they are researchers, they were actually looking at the most expensive way and most complex way to design the study, the most complicated markers they wanted at the beginning, right, with some frozen samples and stuff. Yeah, that's great, but this is your budget, so this will not fit into that budget. Basically, working with the site, and it really wasn't for them. And, you know, this is where we told them 
you know, about the different options they have. And in the end, we decided to work in terms of blood testing with a fingerprint company. And, you know, this is super patient-centric. Uh, participants, they can do the test in the comfort of their own home when it's most convenient for them in terms of time. And all they need to do is get the sample to UPS and then, you know, overnight it to a lab and labels and packaging and all of that stuff is anyway provided. Now with this study, participants had to take the blood test at a very, very specific day in their menstrual cycle. And this is where our technology came in very handy and made a really great difference because just imagine the manual work you have to do when you have 75 participants, all of them on a different cycle. It's a nightmare, right? But because of the technology we're using, it was very easy for us to track and automate our patient notches. And yeah, eventually study wrapped up as a success. Client renewed with us and, you know, now they're testing more of their products. Okay. And what's their time to market? Study-wise? Product-wise. I don't know. <laughs> because of all of the products we are testing, they are already on the market. Okay. Okay. Great. And tell me, Suzanne, what's the long-term vision for Citrus Labs? What's the kind of, you know, 10 to 15 years vision? So I want Citrus Labs to be the go-to company for brands and consumers alike to help them understand the efficacy of over-the-counter products that are health and wellness related. So what does that mean? So currently, I don't think that there is currently a day in which no new brands are created, new supplements, skincare products, cosmetic products, right, launched all over the place. And right now, Looking at the claims of these companies, it is really wild. And I think one of the most prominent examples of this is the app Lumosity. They got fined a couple of years back. They got fined with two million for false advertising claims around its app and it's how it affects Alzheimer's. And you know, this was basically the beginning of this. And right now, many, many people take supplements, use skincare products, cosmetic products without knowing that they actually work and that they actually safe to use. You know, going back to the number, twenty three thousand people going to the ER each year in the US because of supplements. And they don't know if these products have been tested. And also if you have shopped for supplements, and I think everybody of us shopped for supplements before, you know they are not cheap. One exciting thing that happened recently is that Amazon, they made a great step into the right direction. They now require their vendors to show that their products are actually free of toxins. And I want to go one step further and require these companies to show that their products actually work, right? Speaking of efficacy. Okay, let's switch gears to Suzanne as a founder. Let's start with your personal motivations. What kind of, you know, makes you motivated on a daily basis? Being the CEO, being the founder is a super lonely job. What's your motivation behind it? My motivation is several things. I'm really excited about the work I do. And I'm even more excited about making a difference in people's lives. Every day we get messages from patients, right, that have participated in studies. And they tell us, you know, what difference these studies made and these products made in their lives. And it's really great to see, especially if, you know, the supplements we test, they are geared towards very specific health conditions and then these health conditions get better it's amazing 
Is there anything specific you'd like to say to your younger self and to other digital health founders? So we have a growing audience of eight to 10,000 people listening to, to our episodes, mainly Series C or Series A digital health founders. Are there any key lessons learned along your way? Many, many, many key lessons. I think the biggest lesson of all is to trust yourself and specifically trust your gut. Your gut feeling is always right. When you don't have a good gut feeling, don't do it, right? Even if all the people around you say that, you should do it. And your gut says, nah no and then you know don't go over that gut feeling and then i know it's a super old book i'm just catching up uh-huh. it is called the gift of fear and it's a really great book and i couldn't understand why i was sometimes feeling that way right and i couldn't explain to people why i made this decision i just said it's a gut feeling it's my instinct and i don't know why i'm doing this but this book helped me to understand that i as a human was primed to actually make these gut instincts because of all the different clues i get around me right to actually make this decision in a way i make it because of all the different things in my surroundings so yeah trust 100% trust your gut is always right and i made previously a couple of decisions against my gut and it always went downhill. So never a good idea to go against that. The other thing is being very ruthless with your time is also another thing. You should only do stuff that actually brings you forward and the company forward. And I have wasted, especially at the beginning, a ton of hours with meetings, conferences that just didn't make a difference, right? Never move the needle. And it was a very poor use of my time. How to prioritize then? Think about what impact that activity has on you, your company, especially in the US, right? In Europe, not so much when it comes, for example, conferences. That's a really good example. In Europe, you know, conferences are just a way to network, to meet new people, maybe to do some business. But in the US, conferences are on the top right? You basically create a ton of business at conferences. That is true for many companies. Interestingly enough, it wasn't true for us. <laughs> so I wasted a lot of time at these conferences, traveling, meeting people, right? Joining talks. It was all very interesting. And personally, I learned a lot, but I we only go to one or two conferences right now to not you know waste any resources. Okay. And is there anything specific founders should focus on building when it comes to the clinical trial space, especially the tech side of clinical trials? Yeah, I would love to see really great tech for sites. There are currently a lot of different software solutions, but again, they're legacy systems. And most of the new tech is really based on these legacy systems, and I don't think it's great. So I think this is something, you know, I would be extremely excited to see. Because if you're cracking that market, you guys will be rich. (laughs) Richer than Jeff. Listen carefully. Let's get back to your inspirations. Is there anything our listeners should read, listen, or watch in terms of understanding the entrepreneurship game better from the inside? I think it really depends on you as a person, right? What you get inspired by, how you learn. And I personally get inspired a lot by looking left and right, doing other stuff, you know, not working, spending time in nature, spending time with people that don't work in startups or in my industry. And I do this because it gives you different perspectives. It gives you new inputs. 
things I haven't thought about. And to give you an example here, I'm a big equestrian. I ride a lot and this is my hobby for the past 25 years. And I have been riding Trizash for all of my life. And I recently started jumping this year as well. And I also compete. And I even competed in jumping this year. And now one person that I get inspired by is my trainer. You know, she's training humans and horses right, to be better in our sport. And because of that, she's actually really great with leadership. She gave me a ton of really great advice that's not only relevant for horseback riding, but actually for life and also for the company and for entrepreneurship and for leadership. And I think having also a different perspective in your life is extremely important. And generally, I'm also a fan of having multi-dimensions in your life and not just one dimension, right? If you define your just with your company and with you being an entrepreneur this is like one dimension but I think life gets a little bit more spicy when you have several dimensions to it makes you more complete you're right Suzanne thanks for joining today yeah thank you for having me Our producer is Michelle, Carol is our editor. If you like what you heard, please follow, download and subscribe. Thank you for listening to Digisection from the Health Podcast Network.